take your pew Bible or your copy of the scriptures and let us return to Paul's letter to Timothy. First Timothy chapter two, first Timothy chapter two. We've been working our way expositionally through this book, and uh, we looked at chapter uh, verse 8 last week. And this morning, um, we are in the section now dealing with uh, the women. If you remember what we have been seeing here, are instructions for worship. And he's been already speaking to the men in verse 8, and he's going to pick this back up again when we get to chapter 3, especially as it leads to. Uh, the qualifications for church leadership. But this morning, there's a shift in verse 9 concerning the women. So we have instructions for worship, and the focus this morning are, is concerning the women of the congregation. And uh, our, there's two areas that he covers here, and we're going to focus on the first one, which is found in verses 9 and 10. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 9. Verse 9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Verse 10, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let us pray. Our Father, your word your inspired, your infallible word is given for our instruction in righteousness. And we pray this morning for the blessing and help of your Holy Spirit to teach us and to give us understanding. We pray that he would help us to receive your truth, to believe it, and to apply it, Father, to our lives. And so, Father, we believe in the Spirit, and we pray for his help. Be upon me as I speak. And be with each of us as we listen. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, last week we, we looked at Paul's instruction concerning the men uh, during the corporate gathering or, or the worship of his people. And this morning, now in verse 9, he shifts his attention to the women of the congregation during worship. Now, along the way, we've been reminded that the way that we approach God in corporate worship is important. And if you remember, the teaching of this letter concerning the corporate worship of the church does not appear to be only influenced by cultural matters. I'm not saying they're completely irrelevant, but he's setting forth the apostolic teaching concerning conduct in the churches. And if there's any doubt about this, you remember we, look, we saw this over in chapter 3, in verse 15, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, where he says, But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is in the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So the initial thought, if you remember, as we entered into this section on worship and its emphasis upon prayer, we've been reminded of the, the authority and the sufficiency of the scriptures. That is to, as we would call the regulative principle of worship, as it is to guide and instruct us in how 
we are to come to God. And in those initial verses, if you remember, concerning prayer, verses 1 and 2, it brought this back to our attention. And in beginning in verse 8, the apostle moves to these specific instructions for men and women uh, concerning prayer and the corporate worship of the local church. Now, again, as I began to point out last week, the central thought of our passage is the proper demeanor, the proper attitude in the public worship of the gathered church. And when I say demeanor, I mean that there is a proper inward attitude and he will speak of a proper outward appearance. And as we've seen in the opening verses of this chapter, God desires that we come to him according to his word and that we should, in this case, he's speaking of the gathering and of prayer. And therefore, the church should be pray. The church should be praying with this proper inward attitude. Now, so again, this instructions for worship, men and women, and verse 8, it was instructions for the men, and beginning in verse 9, this will run all the way to verse 15, instructions for the women. And this morning, in verses 9 and 10, it concerns modesty, modesty and self-restraint or control. Now, these verses... These verses come across very fiery in our modern culture that has been negatively influenced by uh, radical feminism. Unfortunately, too often, um, evangelicalism will take its cues from the, from the culture, from the surrounding culture. And this has entered into a large number of churches, that is radical feminism. And so as we read such verses and come to a passage like this, uh, often to the modern mind, to the, the, the modern ears, especially into the, in the West, it sounds uh, incredible. It sounds unrealistic. It sounds like uh, fingernails straight coming down a chalkboard. But we have unfortunately been negatively influenced by radical feminism. But let us hear what God's word has for us. And concerning the role of women in the church, let us humble ourselves this morning. Again, beginning in verse 9, we have the instructions for the women. And Paul will begin with modesty. Modesty. Again, in like manner that the women adorn themselves, he says, in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. So he points out something about outward appearance. He opens with these words, though, in like manner also, or I also want, that can be translated, or similarly. Now, this transition here, as he moves to the women, these opening words, uh, they are debated somewhat, exactly what this transition is about. That is, is this transition just concerning the worship and corporate worship, or is there something here about prayer? concerning the women and the church. That is, as the men pray, the women, when they pray. That is, when the women pray and when the women are gathered with the assembled church for worship. So we should realize that the women do pray. But however, we want to 
interpret these opening words, the women do pray with the gathered church. In fact, we all, we all, all men, all women, we pray as we gather together, even when it's led by someone else, like an elder leading the worship of the church. And there is, in some sense, women praying in the church we find in the Bible, for instance, in 1 Corinthians eleven five, as we pointed this out last week. And someone may want to push back on what Paul's saying here and say it contradicts what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5, where it seems to say that women can pray and, and there's something about prophesying here. And again, we'd have to look at that and talk about what he means by prophesying or prophecy there. But however we want to see 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5, we will interpret that with 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14, which clearly forbids a woman to speak in the assembly of the gathered church. So again, 1 Corinthians 11.5 must be interpreted in light of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 and 35, as we mentioned last week. And we're going to talk about this, women speaking in the church beginning next week. It could because we, uh, beginning in verse 11, this comes up again. 1 Corinthians 14.34 says this, let, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. So we want to remember that in the background. But let me remind you, though, the women are not to speak in the church. We're going to talk again what that means next week. Let me remind you, though, that not all men are to be speaking, if this is in the context of teaching, let not all men be teaching or not to be teaching or leading in the gathered church, if you remember that. So it's not just, just these women, but as we will see when we get into chapter 3, not all men are to be teaching in the church. They must meet those qualifications as found in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. Now, with that being said, I think the words of John Gill, the 18th century English Baptist pastor and biblical scholar, are helpful. Gill says this, quote, let the women pray likewise. So he's connecting this language in like manner with the content of prayer and the men in the previous verse, verse 8. He says, let the women pray likewise, though... They are not to lead in prayer, are to be the mouth of the church, which would be, as he says, indecent, not modest. So the women are to pray. However, this is to be distinct from the assembled church for worship and that prayer, which is led by the minister or the elders of the church. Again, another example of women praying with the gathered church is found in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, after the ascension of Christ, the church gathers for prayer. It does not appear to be a worship service, but a type of prayer meeting. In Acts chapter 1, we have that upper room prayer meeting, as we might say. In Acts 1 verse 12, it says, And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. Verse 13 
And when they when they had entered, they went up to the up into the upper room where they were staying, and it begins to list off Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. And then verse 14, verse 14, it says, These all, now watch this, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now, again, I, I don't want to get bogged down with these words of transition, but I do want us to see the main thought. I think the main point that the apostle is driving home to us this morning is that in this section, in the giving of instruction to women, is that as the church gathers together in its worship, that men are to lead... We've seen that. And just as the men are to prepare and to have a godly attitude or a godly disposition, so are the women. In verse 8, you remember? The men are to be lifting up holy hands without wrath, that is without anger and doubting and dissension. So just as the men, the women are to come before God with an attitude to please God, an attitude of holiness. So how do we approach God in worship matters? And how are we to have this proper attitude when we gather? It is to be with a desire to please God and all that he instructs us. Again, notice verse 9 and 10. Paul addresses the outward appearance. He instructs the women of the church to dress modestly. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Now notice the wording here. Modest or and, and moderation. In the translation we're using, the NKJV, you see modest and moderation, and then the word propriety. Modest signifies orderliness. It comes from the Greek word cosmos, like the universe. And this is important, this orderliness, especially as he'll shift later when he'll speak about that this, these distinct roles and design of male and female and gender and their roles in worship is grounded not in a cultural aspect, but in they're grounded in creation. In creation, he says. So he uses the word cosmos, it's rooted in cosmos for for orderliness. And then he uses a word moderation, where we get the word wisdom, like Sophia, from the Greek word Sophia. It's it's rooted in that. The idea is wisdom. And propriety, that is, with reverence, soberness, self-control, regard for others, with respect. In other words, the dress is not to be, the dress of the, of the women are not, it's not to be audacious. It's to be uh, proper for the setting. It's not to be over the top. It's not to be daring, as we might say today. 
So in verse 9, the instruction for the women is that the women are to be dressed in modest apparel. And this would include clothing and all, as the word women use today, and all accessories like jewelry, hair braids, purses, scarves, etc. Now again, I want to quote Gill because he's helpful here. John Gill says this. Listen closely. Modest. Modest signifies that which is clean, neat, decent, yay, beautiful, ornamental. And in the sense of the apostle is that he would not have them to come to public worship in rags and in dirty and filthy garments, but that their bodies should be covered with clean and decent raiment so that the Israelites, and notice what he does here. He says, so the Israelites washed their clothes that they might be ready to meet the Lord on, the, on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19.14. He says this, the Jews always appeared in their best clothes on the Sabbath day. Do you hear that? This is one of their rules, he says. He said, every man must be clothed with a clean or neat apparel and clothing on the, and on the weekday, it, it's not so. So now, for our modern day, when we read Gil, this is roughly 300 years ago when he's writing this. For our modern day, Gill's words are applicable to the men and women. While we do not want to dress in such a way, listen, we do not want to dress in such a way that it intimidates people. We do not want to dress in a way that it looks like we rolled into church as if it was a day at the beach or a 4th of July cookout. Right? Some of our young people need to hear that. But back to the women. Paul's point is that the women are to present themselves. Listen, ladies, Paul is calling upon the women to present themselves in a respectable and modest dress. And when gathered with the church, dress modestly, cover yourselves appropriately. Do not dress in a way that flaunts your wealth, which would be everybody in this room, or flaunts your outward beauty. Did you hear that? There's a reason I said that. You do not want to flaunt your wealth or your outward beauty. Now, with that being said, additionally, be very careful. Listen, young ladies, be very careful about taking your cues from the surrounding culture. In other words, do not dress seductively. Do not dress seductively. We're not talking about styles of purses here. And notice Paul pointing particular items in verse 9. At first they may seem odd. Braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Now, there is a context for that. Um, James B. Hurley, in his book, uh, Man and Woman in Biblical Perspective, points out what is the context of that language. It's this, quote, 
The sculpture and literature of the period make it clear that women often wore their hair in enormously elaborate arrangements with braids and curls interwoven or piled high like towers. Sounds like the 1960s and the beehive haircut, doesn't it? They were, they were piled high like towers and decorated, decorated with gems or gold or pearls. The courtesans, that is the wealthy or the upper class, wore their hair and numerous small pendant braids with gold droplets or pearls, pearl gems, every inch or so, making a simmering screen of their locks. Not only would the wealthy do that, but it is also said that prostitutes of the day would even do that. So with that being said, then you understand that that language that he's using there, how that was a, a problem that could be in the ancient world. That is uh, the gold and the the um, uh, the uh, which is language again that he's using there in verse verse nine. That is the uh, the braided hair, the gold, the pearls. And then he also points out costly clothing. So. However, this is, this is not the only time, though, the women are to dress this way, that is, with moderation, propriety, not being audacious. There is why a way of dress for different occasions in general, this is to be the way that Christian women are to present themselves. Do you hear me, ladies? Do you hear me, young ladies? Because verse 10 tells us it's that which is proper for women professing godliness. Do you see that? This is proper for all women professing the gospel, professing to be a Christian. So, ladies, young ladies, the women of the church, if they are rich, they are not to flaunt their wealth and draw attention to themselves or just to, again, listen to my words, external beauty. Now, Paul as he did in verse 8 concerning the men. Remember how he did that in verse 8 with the men. He, he's like an archer. He's like an archer who's focused on hitting the bullseye. And the bullseye for Paul is the heart, the inward attitude. The apostle desires to hit the heart of the inward woman. And that from a renewed heart... She would follow through with true outward godliness. The woman of the women of the church, her outward dress, outward demeanor, our conduct, are to be pointing to inward beauty. Did you hear what I'm saying now? Inward beauty. Our true inward godliness. And that's Paul's intention here. 
In fact, it's, it's a full sweep of apostolic teaching. For example, listen to how the apostle Peter gives the same instruction in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Verse 4, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, let me say again. Because we are by nature, we turn into Pharisees and legalists. The apostle is not against gold or pearls. They are not intrinsically evil in themselves. In fact, they're found in heaven, according to the revelation. He's not, he's not against dressing appropriately for the setting. A bride at a wedding should outshine all the women that are there. When the high priest in the Old Testament would dress, it was a beautiful garment that he would wear. He was set apart from everyone in the room. But in the gathered church, what Paul is saying is that the women are to dress in a certain way that they understand the setting that they are in, the worship of God, that they are to dress modestly, not indiscreetly, not flaunting external beauty, not seductively, that is inappropriate for a woman professing godliness with good works, as he says in verse 10. And again, not only First Peter do we see this, and First Timothy, but we see this also in Titus. Paul says it again. In writing to Titus, he says in Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. The older women likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior. You see this? That they might be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. You can already see we're going to be there next week when we talk about women and when it's appropriate for them to be teaching. But the point here is that, that they are to be reverent in their behavior. They are to be, verse 5 of Titus 2, to be discreet and chest. All of this, all of this is echoing the truths of the virtuous wife of Proverbs 31. Is it not? Where it says in Proverbs 31, 31, it closes that entire section there with, Give her of the fruits of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So, Paul is concerned about the attitude of the women in the gathered worship and that their outward demeanor, their outward dress may very well reflect something about a wrong kind of heart, an inward thing. And if the inward heart 
is to hear the word of God, to apply it, it will affect the outward demeanor and attitude and the way that they would even present themselves in dress in the gathered congregation and in general in all of life. And there's much that could be said about this in 21st century America, isn't there? No way of dress. But let me let me close, and, and we're only covering this section because there's so much I want to bring up next week in light of especially what's currently taking place uh, within churches across our land. But, but let me begin with some application here, and let's work our way through this. One, in a way of application, women of the church, those that profess the name of Christ as Lord, our ladies and the mothers of young daughters, listen to the words of the apostle of Christ this morning. Present yourselves with an outward attire, clothing that pleases God, especially when you gather to worship with the assembled church. The church assembled for worship, though, is not about wearing the latest fashion. Now, I've been told by someone very close to me that women primarily are dressing for other women. Is that true? That's what I've been told. But let me say this. This is not about presenting or trying to wear the latest fashion. When you gather for worship, it is about the worship of our triune God. It is about doing that which is pleasing to him above all else. It is about gathering with God's people in humility and love. It's about confessing your sins and finding forgiveness in the cross of Christ it is about the hearing and the receiving of God's instruction through his word. It is about the participation in the sacraments and receiving the promises of the gospel that are found there. It is not an attempt to gain approval of the people around you, but the approval of God and receiving the assurance and the promises of God found in his word. You hear what I'm saying? Secondly, ladies, not only remember God, not only remember God, but also remember the men, the young men of the congregation. Dress in such a way that professes godliness and not in a way that may make a brother in Christ stumble in temptation. Some brothers struggle with that. Some do not have the same kind of temptation. But some struggle with that greatly. So remember that. Thirdly, dress in such a way of moderation that it would not cause an individual that may walk into the church building on Sunday to feel intimidated because they may not have the financial resources to dress as nicely as you. 
Be humble. Consider others. Additionally, do not be judgmental of others who may not understand this truth, who may have never been instructed in these things. Let's always, let's always give room for people to be taught and to grow. Amen? Amen. Especially if they're an unbeliever or a new convert. Give them room to grow. I can think of something analogous to this. Years ago, there was a new family that was worshiping with us. They were strongly grounded in the Reformed faith. And after a couple weeks, they said, not everyone here understands the, the, the Reformed teaching of the Sabbath. I remember I was standing downstairs with them. I said, yeah, I know. They said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I'm going to just keep teaching through books of the Bible, just like I'm doing. And when we touch upon that subject, I talk about it. I'm not stopping every week to talk about whatever the, that immediate thing that someone who walks in the church uh, needs to hear, because I, I can't keep up with that. We're working our way through books. And when we touch those subjects, we touch it. We, we, we touch upon them. We, we preach them. And... Uh, this family, uh, they've moved off, and since then they have matured in this area. Uh, I remember they had one of their children next to them, and they asked, they said, Mom, Dad, can I go out and play on the playground with the other kids? It was during lunch. And they said, no, it's the Sabbath. And I was thinking, gosh, I kind of wanted to go out there and play with them. <laughs> right. So... Remember, some folks are going to be a little more uptight about things, a little more legalistic, may have certain uh, preferences, others not. But we're all growing together to show grace toward one another, love toward one another, to walk together in differences. So do not be judgmental of others who may not understand this truth. Give them room to grow. Let them be taught especially if they are an unbeliever or a new convert. And with that being said, number four, avoid legalism. Avoid legalism. Let us receive the apostolic teaching. Let us obey it. But be very careful that we do not become like the Pharisees and add to the teaching things that are not required. It was a few years ago, a man came up to the elders and asked us or told us we needed to have a list of what was appropriate for the women to wear and not to wear. <laughs> yes, I looked at him like he lost his mind. <laughs> and of course, he had in his mind, he knew exactly what they needed to wear and not wear. Well, we move on. So the scriptures here is clear. Dress appropriately. Dress appropriately for our gathering. We are here to worship the triune God. This is not a day at the beach. This is not a time to show the latest fashions. This is not a time here to dress seductively. This is not that. Dress as a woman desiring to present yourself as a woman pursuing godliness who has received the gospel. 
Let me close with these here. And then next week, we're going to pick up in verse 11 about uh, the role of women in teaching in the church. It's found in verse 11 through 15. But these are this. What we're looking at here has to do with submission and what is appropriate. And it will relate to next week. We, we have here instructions, commands to obey from the apostle. For the fathers, for the mothers, for the women and the young women of our church. The right attitude when we come together for worship. There are commands here to obey. Commands to obey in the scriptures is called law. It's law. But there's not only law. There's gospel, right? We know that we are not declared righteous or justified in the sight of God by the kind of shoes or dress that we wear. We are justified in the sight of God by the merits of Christ through the gospel. So there are not only commands to obey in our text law, but there's promises to be believed and received by faith. Notice the language of verse 10, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Now, again, we are redeemed by the blood of the son and him. The writer of Hebrews would say we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. That is the mark of a woman of godliness, that she, by faith alone, has embraced Jesus Christ and his righteousness, his work on the cross, Christ alone, his death in her place for the judgment that she deserves. And he's buried, and this is the Christ who's risen from the dead and so we have here that this is to be a woman professing godliness that has received Christ. Her heart of stone has been made a heart of flesh. However, this professing of godliness, this woman that has embraced Christ by faith, and that is how she is justified, and that is how all of us are justified in the sight of God. He reminds us that it is with good works. That is our reception of the gospel, a renewed and transformed life, a new heart. In other words, leads to a new way of life. As the apostle would say in Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, for by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. And so we are saved by the grace of God, the sovereign grace of God because of Christ received through faith. But we who have been renewed in Christ Jesus, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, ladies, do that which is proper for women. Verse 10 professing godliness with good works. But again, as we come to the table this morning, let us be very clear 
that which we that which has transformed us and renewed us is not our works of righteousness, but it is Christ alone in the gospel. His grace, the work of Christ received by faith alone. And so we come to the table. We come to this covenant meal this morning. And here we see the broken body the, in the bread, the, the shed blood of Christ in the cup, the wine that is the, the cup of God's wrath that he drank for us. And as we come to the table this morning, and as we receive the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Christ, we receive the promises of God through faith and the promise of the new covenant that's found in Christ and the gospel. The promise that he remembers our sins no more. Let us pray.